man, I was out for a spring break and it went for two weeks because when you send the kids to camp, then they get the camp sickness and then they don't get to go back to school. And now I have to say, what happened in politics over the last two weeks? And a lot, a lot as always. But uh, I want to talk about Tennessee because there was quite a show down there. And I think that the version of the show that we got was an interesting example of looking at things through our typical whatever happened before must be repeating lens, but maybe just not quite as accurate as we think it is. Welcome to the Compass of Power. I'm Adam Wilson. I like to think about the place in politics. I like to say if we step back and think about the local cultures involved, we see that a lot of the political stories we see, stories about partisanship and Republicans versus Democrats, are really battles between cultures. And this is a really great example. What happened in Tennessee? Well, the version probably nationally accepted is that two young black men stood up in the Tennessee House for gun control and were ousted by angry white Republicans. Now, this did something unusual, which is bring regionalism to the public thought process. It was seen as sort of the archetypal North versus South episode, reminiscent of the battle days of school integration battles and the violent end of Jim Crow, in that you have this very dominant white majority, ousting, literally kicking out of power, taking away their rights to represent the district of two young black elected officials. Now, that is a story we have seen in the South, and I don't want to like in any way suggest that race had nothing to do with this, but... My analysis would say that this is a little bit something else, and it was slipped into the old, like, Deep South Jim Crow narrative because it looks so much like it, but I think there's a few things that we can see if we if we step in a little deeper and say, what's going on in Tennessee? That is, uh, Democratic and Republican politicians from this culture that dominates Tennessee, most of it, we're in a ferocious fight, and that's how they fight in this culture. That is the Appalachian culture. We talk about these guys all the time. They're really having a moment in American politics, but they tend to, they're hard charging. They value uh, bravery and attack over cutting deals or getting along or amazing ability to govern. Uh, and what happened in Tennessee, I would say, is that you had two people from that same culture that went at it so hard that one side way overplayed and ended up looking like something that maybe they weren't, which was, you know, an old plantation owner from the South. And that was a, a deep mistake for the Republicans, clearly. Okay, here's the... Here's the facts. Two sitting Democratic representatives, Justin Jones of Nashville and Justin J. Pearson of Memphis, were expelled earlier this month by a vote of two-thirds of their fellow members of the Tennessee House of Representatives. Gloria Johnson of Knoxville was spared by a single vote, and, interestingly, she was white. 
Both Jones and Pearson were immediately put back in office uh, by the Metropolitan Nashville Council and Shelby County Commission. Those are the two bodies that were charged with finding a replacement should their elected representatives be booted from office, and they just immediately put back Jones and Pearson. And I think Republicans would at this point agree that this was not a great strategic episode. Uh, They would argue that those elected representatives were ousted because they flamboyantly broke the rules that are supposed to ensure civil debate inside the House. And by expelling them, the majority party was drawing a hard line against chaos and, and the kind of political protest that we don't want to hijack the lawmaking process. Um, and I do want to talk really quickly about the, uh, the real place here. Like I've never been inside the Tennessee house chambers. I have covered legislatures. I understand the state legislative process and lawmaking in general, and there is a sacredness to the floor. That's what they call it. The floor. So when you are in a legislature and you step out onto that floor, that has all the chairs on it and where everybody makes their speeches, there's untold rules about what you can and can't do. And I, this is one part of the story I don't want to spend too much on, but it is very important to understand just when you talk about this, the charges here that in order to keep things from just becoming fistfights or ad hominem attacks all day or uh, filibustering, or we're just going to debate the one bill that everybody cares about for three days and never get on to the other bill that does more that we're unanimous on. In order to efficiently run and maintain some kind of decorum inside an adversarial body, like a legislative body, they have rules of order. And they also, so those rules actually say we can only do these kind of things at this time until we vote to go to the next subject, which will be, then we will vote which bills will be sent to committee. And then we're going to move to a different order of business that's going to tell us, okay, now we're going to uh, take up a resolution and we'll talk about the resolution. And then when, even when you're talking about the resolution, there's orders about whether or not you can name people by name. Usually you can't, you have to say the good representative from district so-and-so so that you're not getting too personal. You usually cannot ascribe motives to the other side. You cannot say, well, they're just doing this to get even with us. Uh, although everybody tries to say that anyway, but you will, uh, you can't, get away from the topic and wait into some other topic. You have to speak to the bill before the body, all these rules. And on top of that, literally there's a sacredness of prayer. Usually you open with a prayer uh, by, you know, various denominations, but the idea is to try and center people, get them to think about doing the common good. Uh, And there are sergeants at arms that have police power to throw people out and to lock them in. I think here in Washington state, I've seen that happen once or twice where they actually like lock the doors. No one can escape and we will have this vote. I mean, weird stuff like that. So that little space, that square footage in the house floor where uh, this all started is unlike the debate hall, unlike the political rally, unlike anything else that most of us experience. And so the the charges here were that uh, the Tennessee Three, as they're known, took the protest that was going on outside and brought it onto the floor. They ignored what the rules were about what they were supposed to be talking. They ignored who was supposed to have the microphone, and they got up there. And uh, Pearson and Jones in particular, as I understand it, 
uh, spoke into a bullhorn. Like they just straight up brought like a protest rally style tactics into the floor and were shouting into a bullhorn about gun control. And uh, they would tell you that that was necessary because there was a, another school shooting this time in Tennessee, children died and it was time to get serious about that topic. Now, of course, we have to step back a little bit and say there's a lot of topics that get people very fired up. So even saying, well, you know, I'm sure that some listeners, when they hear that, it's like, well, yeah, because children's lives are at stake. We have to, you know, what was the problem? Well, well, part of the problem is that the Republicans didn't want to talk about it. But the other part of the problem is that there are a lot of other topics where everybody could feel super pumped up about. You know, there are some people who get very hot under the collar about their Second Amendment rights, about their First Amendment rights. Uh, they get hot under the collar about abortion, about uh, same-sex marriage. I mean, there's a lot of things there, and we don't want the chamber to break down and stop functioning every time a hot-button topic comes up. But also, we almost never see people who break the rules lose their seat. Uh, so that was exceptional and rarely invoked since the Civil War and clearly played into this type that uh, we have of the South, which is, you know, this sort of racist, male, white, angry, overbearing archetype, right? And that is the thing that the North hates. And as I always say, when you think about liberalism in the United States, you're basically thinking about the Northern point of view. And uh, for the Southerners... You know, the people in power in Tennessee, I am sure that the part of this is that you had like this archetypal northerner behavior in front of them. They were moralizing against everybody. They were disrespectful of their traditions and they were crying racism as a defense to anything that they didn't like. Um, and this really plays into what I think goes on in national politics all the time, which is the number one complaint of the liberals slash north is that the south doesn't realize it's going to hell uh, for over 200 years, uh, the north of the, of the states have um, really tried to convince the south that they are utterly depraved and wrong, and the south just doesn't get it, and it is a constant thorn in their side. On the other hand, the number one complaint of the south is that the north is interfering in its business, and they would like to get back to whatever they were doing, which sometimes was slavery, which was Jim Crow sometimes, and other times is things like not recycling. Um we're going to go a little deeper, though, and talk about Tennessee in particular, because Tennessee is divided into two cultural groups when we keep going back to those, like, you know, the big geographic areas of the United States. Uh, one would be the Appalachians, that warrior culture we talked about. And the capital of that part of Tennessee is Nashville, where Jones is from. And that same Appalachian section, which is most of the eastern part of the state, uh, is where Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton came from. The Deep South controls the the Memphis region, which is where Pearson's from and where we talked about, if you go back and listen to the uh, Tyree Nichols shooting episode, we talk a little about the history of Memphis. And, you know, we have to acknowledge that there's a long, deep history of African-Americans in Tennessee. And sometimes I wonder, you know, can you really like fit that into that broader geographical culture debate about uh, Apple, the founding cultures, because what we're usually talking about is the people who founded an area and started its government. Because once you start the government in a certain mode, it just keeps going that way. That's the whole theory here on this podcast. So if you have Appalachians who founded Tennessee, took control and set up its government institutions, then pretty much that culture is going to keep going no matter who moves it. Uh, and I think actually, you know, looking at it in this episode, you're going to see that 
Yeah, regardless of race or color or creed, what we have here are is like that underlying, really aggressive culture going on. <clears throat> Let's, and I want to focus on, speaking of that, Justin Jones, who is the most raucous of the Tennessee Three, and he is from Nashville, and he is a warrior. Now, Appalachian culture prizes warriors. Uh, think Andrew Jackson, Lyndon B. Johnson, Mitch McConnell, all from that culture, all very hard-charging politicians. And warriors can be great because they will take on the other side, they will power up the base, they will win victories, and that is the key in Appalachian culture is to win and fight. Now, the downside is, of course, that they make enemies. They don't make the other side feel like compromising. They're not known for bringing all sides together to find common ground. And compromise and common ground are, in fact, necessary in democratic government. So things can get a little messy. And so you, I think you find in Appalachian areas that they have a very high tolerance for what the rest of the country would consider bare-knuckle politics or even dirty politics. Justin Jones, I can't believe this, he's born the year I graduated from high school in 1995. Oh my Lord, I'm old. He's actually born in Oakland, California, and his um, mother was Filipina and his uh, father was black. And I just mentioned that because we often like slot, again, we slot people into these old narratives that we already know and understand, which is black versus white. But, you know, it's a complex culture today, and, and there's more to it than just that. Um, now, he earned a Bachelor of Arts from Fisk University, which is a black college in Nashville, founded right after the Civil War. Uh, so that is part of that deep African-American history in the South that continues today. And he, he embraced, I would say, or I don't know, you know, I don't know Justin Jones. I didn't call him for this episode. I assume he's busy, but I don't know if it's by quirk of personality that he's a good fit for the area, or if he has learned a lot of what he understands about how politics are conducted from where he lives. Undoubtedly a mix of both. But uh, in 2019, a mere four years ago, he was campaigning for the removal of a bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest from the Tennessee State Capitol. Uh, Bedford Forrest, uh, of course, was a hero of the Confederacy, but also a founder of the KKK, which is, you know, that is what the KKK is what happened when the North beat the South, told them they were all wrong and bad, and then like turned their backs for a minute, and immediately the South went back to what they were doing. And this time, this time, uh, a campaign of terror against uh, giving rights to African Americans. So Nathan Bedford Forrest, very much of that other side of the culture, right? But Jones has got a fighting spirit, okay? Like he is not, um, what do you want to say? He's uh, He's not a bridge builder or a, a peacemaker. Uh, yes, he campaigned for the removal of Bedford Forrest. He was also charged with assaulting the uh, then Speaker of the House in Tennessee, Glenn Casada, for throwing a drink at him, uh, and for which uh, Jones was banned from the Capitol. So when he got ousted, that was not his first time. He'd already been banned before for throwing a, a drink at the Speaker of the House. He was elected to the House of Representatives in 2022, uh, I think it's District 52, which is a bizarre sort of district that looks like a mangled version of Texas. Uh, and he was only in there, in the House, from January till April 6th. So, like, what is that? You know, a little over three months when he got expelled uh, for the what we already talked about, what the Republicans said was disorderly behavior. Uh, but he didn't go down quietly. He didn't, again, 
warrior culture. Uh, he tore into Republicans. Uh, and here's a quote from him because I just I where I come from, which has a lot of the Yankee culture, Western Washington. The, you know they call it a very passive aggressive place. You just you can't be mean to people. If you're going to outward, outwardly, you have to be passively mean to people. So you don't just like light into them. So this speech to me is like my, my eyebrows are on fire. When I read this, it says, uh, this is Justin Jones for years. One of your colleagues who was an admitted child molester sat in this chamber, no expulsion. One member sits in this chamber who was found guilty of domestic violence, no expulsion. We have a member currently under federal investigation, no expulsion. We had a member pee in another member's chair in this chamber, no expulsion. In fact, they're in leadership in the governor's administration. <laughs> Name and names. And after he was expelled, videos resurfaced. I'm sure this existed before of uh, an incident in 2020 during the uh, George Floyd protest kind of era of none other than Justin Jones standing on a, a police cruiser during a protest. And then uh, there's video of him. Uh, assaulting is the term. I think he was actually charged with assault here for, so that'd be the second time. Who knows how many times? I don't know. But he's like, a driver's coming by on the street. I watched the video and there's clearly some words exchanged or something. Jones is on the street on his feet with some other folks and they don't like each other. And Jones picks up a traffic cone and tries to like shove it into the, the driver's side window of the moving truck. It's a pickup. And like the window must be rolled down and he's like, ah, 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 take that. Now that's called assault and there's all sorts of... Uh, charges filed based on that. And then conservatives resurfaced that vi traffic cone video after the expulsion vote to be like, whoa, 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 this guy isn't, you know, he's not a, a sad victim who is only minding his own manners. He's a dangerous man. Well, I just, again, will tell you that Jones is clearly a warrior. He clearly is of the fighting style of politics. And if you doubt that... <laughs> This week, after getting put back into, you know, some of this is not funny, but it is kind of funny when you look at the pattern here, because people not understanding who they're dealing with, he got stopped by security before he could bring a child-sized coffin onto the house floor. Um, and yes, that is a, it's a serious subject. School shootings are awful and terrible, and we should debate it, but that is also over-the-top theatrical, like to the point of being like a Shakespearean play theatrical. And the idea that he thought, he didn't think he could do that. He was doing that to force them to fight him and to make, and to bring out security against him again. I mean, he's as hard-charging a politician as you're going to find, and he's in his mid-20s. Well, maybe late 20s, 27? I mean, so, whew, I don't know how long he can keep this up. But I would argue, based on what I just outlined for you, that regardless of his background or the way people want to mostly see it as a racial issue, you also should give some credit to the fact that the culture of Tennessee values some hard-charging pol politics, and there's none more hard-charging than Justin Jones, with the possible exception of Cameron Sexton, who is this Republican Speaker of the House, and who got the great idea to try and expel Jones and Pearson, and the lady from Knoxville, who didn't get expelled. Uh, Cameron Sexton is another cultural warrior. He is from Oak Ridge, which is to the east of Nashville, 
And the difference here, I think you're going to see they have, he, Sexton and Jones kind of have like the same ethos, honestly. But the difference is that Jones is fighting from the bottom up. He is in the minority party, the Democrats. He is uh, from a minority race. And he doesn't have a lot of uh, official power, but he's got a lot of media power, a lot of, um, like we said, almost theatrical power. Whereas Cameron Sexton is not particularly dramatic in his tone or in his acts. But if you look at what he does from within the power structure, it is some hardcore stuff. I mean, he is just as hard charging as you're going to find. He, for example, was against removing the Nathan Bedford Forest statue, which is saying a lot since the guy was with the KKK. Uh, he helped with the congressional redistricting in Tennessee and actually split Nashville into two congressional districts. So although Nashville has been growing, it's booming, it's a changing city, very much the modern South, they still got a GOP seat out of it because he helped them redistrict it. When it comes to policing, uh, they he was part of a push to increase criminal penalties for unauthorized camping, AKA being homeless. Now that's a big topic over the last few years and that some uh, like democratically led cities, states have not known what to do with the homeless population. Should they, you know, they can't open up enough shelters, can't get them off, but Saxon's on the like, well, let's just make it illegal and arrest them side of things. Uh, he also uh, helped, pass. I like, I like this. Uh, there's a special session in Tennessee during COVID and they actually passed legislation banning cities within Tennessee from establishing face mask or COVID-19 vaccine requirements. And it specifically targeted the Metro Nashville area. I love that. So like Nashville, again, he doesn't really like Nashville. Nashville is trying to do something different from what the Republican majority would like on COVID. And he helped author legislation that just said they couldn't do it, just stripped them of the power. He introduced legislation to make school board elections partisan. They're nonpartisan in most of the country, and he wanted to make them partisan. On abortion, uh, he was in support of what they called the trigger law, before uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned that would basically ban abortion outright should uh, the Supreme Court allow that, and it did. And along with uh, the rest of the Tennessee House Republicans, he uh, got behind an effort to remove a state judge who had ruled that limits on mail-in balloting well, violated the state constitution. And although clearly the whole uh, Tennessee three experience did not go as he planned, he did compare their disorder and protest on the floor of the Tennessee house to the January 6th riot in DC. I think that uh, Mr. Sexton's problem is that he, in his zest to crush these upstarts, uh, did not realize that he was playing into the, a type, you know, he and the Tennessee Republicans look every bit the overbearing Southern overlords, who, by the way, were Democrats back during the civil rights era, but now are Republicans. And it didn't do them a lot of favors, I don't think. Nonetheless, my point is that Justin Jones and Cameron Sexton are clearly culture warriors. Their success lies in drawing blood and in, in, in being known for pushing the other side around. And 
when Jones caused problems and he drew the attention of Sexton, he actually successfully lured, uh, you know, the bigger, more powerful political opponent. I have no idea how big these people are in real life, but you know, you're luring the speaker of the house into a fight in which he is going to utterly crush you, but you win because now you have sort of made him play the type, made him play the monster. So I don't know uh, what happens in Tennessee, uh, but going at it tooth and claw like that to the point that you suddenly come to national attention was bad for the Republicans because the rest of the country does not like or understand the Appalachian style of politics. They do not approve of this hyper-aggressive form of political battle. And it looks and feels to a lot of the country like just the South in general, which you know most people have no interest in trying to understand the differences in different cultures within the South any more than they understand the different cultures within the North. So if that was a trap, holy cow, did the uh, Tennessee Republicans step into it and traps are all a part of warfare. Uh, it, this, in fact, may be a roadmap for the Southern underclass. I like to think that we have the North and we have the South as the big blocks. And within those, you have the, the elites who are Democrats in the North and who are Republicans in the South. And then you have the underclass who are trying to fight their way up. And clearly, Democrats in the South can see this and say, man, if we can provoke the uh, majority into an overreaction that may get us somewhere. Now, it's not clear that this is going to win them more elections. It certainly, I imagine, brought them uh, a lot of money from the North and certainly, I would think, made moderate Republicans in the South think twice. All right, listen, point is that you cannot get people in Kentucky, Tennessee, Texas, Missouri, elsewhere in Appalachia. They just don't, they, they will not learn to pull their punches. That's my point. They will not pull punches. Can't do it ever. That's the Compass of Power this week. Hopefully I'll be back next week with even more excitement for you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please tell your family, tell your friends. Uh, I do think that this helps us see things a little more clearly, or at least gives us a chance to step back from the uh, flag-waving red and blue and uh, just think about where people are coming from, literally. <laughs>